1: Hello and welcome to Lakeside Drive. I'm Freya Brolsmer and this episode is coming in hot directly from the sandy shores of Miami. A really special part of Lakeside Drive is being able to connect with other people who are passionate about Formula One, whether it be our listeners, other podcast hosts and presenters, athletes or people working in motorsport. And this episode is no exception. In fact, if there is a word that summarizes this episode, it is passion. And it's not just because one of our guests comes from a long line of Tifosi. Sarah and Samantha, the co-founders of GridClick, have taken it upon themselves to try and make Formula One a more inclusive place, using the resources they have at hand and focusing on what is in their control. In this chat, we talk about the loneliness of being an early F1 fan in the US the importance of safe spaces and how to make sure motorsport is for everyone. And of course, we dabble in some utterly useless but fun predictions ahead of this weekend's race. Let's get to it. Sarah and Samantha, welcome to Lakeside Drive. It is so good to be with you here in Miami. It's already been an amazing few days. What a vibe.
2: (laughs) Hi, we're so happy to be here. Um, such a vibe. The humid
3: is on, the heat is on. Yeah. Yeah. It's. I'm so happy to have people in my city for once. It's, you know, I'm, I live in Miami and I look forward to the Miami GP every year because I don't have to travel to see them. They travel to see me and I get to bring all my favorite people to my favorite
1: places. So <laughs> it's, uh, it's so lovely to have everyone here. I love that like you said you get to be lazy well not that you're doing anything lazy but you get to to wait and have people come to you that's so great yeah um there's something really special about being able to record in person of course I think a lot of us do a lot of our work virtually now especially everyone's pretty open to that and it also means it's really accessible but it's really special to sit down in person so thank you so much for chatting with me Um, Let's get started with a bit of a conversation about how you guys got into F1. We love hearing about people's kind of early introductions to the sport, obviously Formula One in particular. So, Sarah, maybe we start with you. How did you first learn about Formula One? Yeah. So I am a bit different
3: than everyone else, I think, in which I did not grow up with it. None of my family watched motorsports. I was not in a motorsports family. I'm from the Northeast of America, and it's really just football and hockey up there, some baseball, but that's kind of it. It's really stuck to the American sports. And I also did not learn it from Drive to Survive, which I think it was incredibly helpful and it helped me learn a lot more about the sport than I originally learned um, or originally had knowledge of. But I was actually introduced to it in college. My roommate in college was a fan. Her, Her whole friend group watched it together. And again, it's so niche that she was just sick of being the only girl in the room. So she dragged me along one day showed me all the highlights on YouTube, taught me kind of everything that I needed to know to watch my first race. We walked into that first like viewing party at one of our friends' houses and watching a group of 10 guys and one girl scream at some cars going in some odd shaped circles in a different country. (laughs) I was like, what is this? Like, what is going on? Um, And so I was very lucky to have someone in my life who taught me from the ground up a lot of what I needed to know. And then a few years later, Drive to Survive came about and just really solidified my love for it just because I was able to get a lot more of that deeper insight, a lot more of that background um, that you can only get so much of on socials, especially with, you know, the purchasing of Liberty Media and um, all of that that happens. It's just having that world open up really opened up my eyes to the sport as well. So even though i had been watching it for years, I really got to know it a lot more. And then I met Samantha over here um, and she solidified my love for it even more. So... Yeah, definitely not the most typical way to find it, but I wouldn't
1: have changed it for a thing. Amazing. So we owe something to your friend then for yes. bringing you into it. Like yes. imagine if that happen- hadn't happened. I know. And that's such a great thing, I think, actually, for people listening to this. you know, If you're there sitting at home and you feel like you're alone in the Formula One world as a supporter in somewhere, you know, if you live somewhere where it's not quite as big, bring a friend along because yeah. they might just be, you know, somebody who turns out to absolutely adore the sport. Yeah, absolutely.
3: It's actually some of them, um, we all went to college together and obviously I'm a few years out of college, but some of them still message me sometimes being like, it is so crazy to see that like, you know, we were all these big fans and we kind of dragged you into it and now you're doing all of this stuff in Formula
1: One. Like, it's just, it's so cool to see the opportunities that it has provided for sure. Fantastic. And Samantha, what about you? Do you have a similar journey into Formula One? Quite different what was your intro to the sport? I think before I get there, I really want to sort of build upon what Sarah's saying. Like, and
2: as you had said, we the sport is completely indebted to your roommate for <laughs> <laughs> introducing you into to Formula One. But like, you know, uh, I think your pipeline into the sport is very much um, similar to probably a lot of fans today, and like even myself. Um, you know, I, I think this is a bit of a tangent, but as I grow older. Um, I find a lot of the things that had banded, my friends and I are starting to dissolve. As in, we're like, we're not going out to bars as much. We're not, you know, we're not not out on any scene. But what I'm finding is I'm growing relationships with my girlfriends, especially through the sport. And a lot of them have found Formula One through Drive to Survive. And they're reaching out to me about it. And I think that's so, so special. So I think the fact that like you had a friend who introduced you into sport um, I think is, is really indicative of what we're experiencing right now. And I think that's fantastic. It's also just like another thing that I can connect with friends on and sort of build that relationship. And I think that's something that's been traditionally unique to just men talking about sports in a friendship setting. Um, and I think it's really cool to see women now participating in that arena, which is like so special,
1: but yeah, um,
2: Tangent Very over Very well
1: said, though. No, it's completely true. It's completely true. And it does remind me. And I'm sorry, I will get back to your yeah, story in a minute. you know I mean. This is a great point. It's a great point. <laughs> no, it is. And, you know, it reminds me of kind of the talk about with the Bechdel test with movies and stuff is the amount of time where women, there are two women in a movie talking about something that is not a man, there's no man, blah, blah, blah. It mm. kind of reminds me of that a little mm-hmm. bit in terms of going what is the – change that we're seeing and the assumption around you know women's conversations in particular and yeah. it might shock some people that there's three young women here talking about formula one <laughs> like that's going to be new to a lot of a lot of years but yeah. anyway please continue with your origin story of formula well, one. My origin story um
2: so I grew up in Montreal And it was very much part of the culture of my family. I think some of my earliest memories of my childhood are hearing cars in the background you know, early Saturday, early Sunday morning, just hearing the like, fume, like going by. <laughs> um, and it was very much like my father was is a, is a huge fan. I mean, he worked for a company that that was a sponsor of one of, of the early like 90s, late 90s um, Montreal GP. So it was very much like he was very much involved. He was he was there, he, we were a fan, we're a Tafosi family. Um, so it, it's really, it's part of our Italian heritage and, and sort of culture so it's really been embedded within my DNA, I think. And, um, you know, when I moved out, it was something I, I think I didn't realize that I missed in my sort of weekly routine or, you know, the season routine. But uh, it was something that came to me later on in, in my life that came back to me. And it was sort of a um, isolating experience. I didn't really have friends to really watch it with. I, you know, I would like, you know, call up my dad, call up my uncle and be like, "Do you see the race or, you know, and I think um, that was it. I was talking to, like, middle-aged men about it. <laughs> um, and then, you know, after meeting Sarah, I met Sarah along with a whole community of folks, um, both men and women, that I was able to share this experience with. And uh, it's kind of been a real full-circle experience, um, a very positive one, I'd say, Um yeah, I think it's been it's been very special.
1: As a lifelong Tefosi fan, oh how you feel? Sorry, I'll ask you a real question. Oh. <laughs> um, you must have seen some highs and lows. Do yeah. you do you have a favorite era?
2: Oh my god, I think you know. Let's it's maybe stereotypical, but like the Shumi era is just fantastic. I think he's spoiled us in the expectations of what we would get from. Uh, being a Tafosi or from a Ferrari uh, winner. Like, you know, and, and, and now it's just, we're on the other side of it. But I think if history teaches us anything and it's cyclical, what comes up must come down. And it's going to go back up again. But yeah, I would say like, I would say my era would be Shumi. Um, again, it's like tied, I think, to like this olfactory sense of like being a child and, and also um, family. Ah, so and I think, I think the Tifosi or like even Ferrari brand, probably, you know, they're very much like, it's a family, it's, they're very insular, it's, um, so I think that, that those values align quite a bit. But yeah, it hurts to be a Ferrari fan today, in today's yeah. era. I'm hoping that in my, you know, I'm, I'm hoping the cycle shifts and we can
1: have better years. <laughs> I'm sure it will. We see that ups and downs with all the teams. You look yeah. at Mercedes at the moment, and whilst they might not be having the same challenges as other teams, they're, you know, they've been on a high for a long time, and now there's some very frustrated Mercedes fans out there. So it'll be it'll be back in its in its highest form, I'm sure. Fast, <laughs> yeah. Um, Sarah, was there a moment when you wanted more to be a part of it, to be more involved, and kind of transition from happy watching a race on a Sunday. It's kind of going, I want to be part of this circus. (laughs) Absolutely. A hundred percent. I mean, I think what Samantha just alluded
3: to was the moment and the time that we met that amazing community of people. Um, what had happened was there was this flash in the pan app called clubhouse. If anyone knows of it or remembers it, whereas essentially it was an audio only chat room space where anyone could join any room to talk about any topic. Um, it started off as I remember when I first downloaded the app and I first heard about it, I looked up for Formula One and there was nothing there. Like no one had created any spaces for it. There was no, you know, what was called a room at that point. There's no room for it. And then I had kind of checked back two weeks later and this person, Ben Fuller, who is incredible, had started this Formula One room. And when I first joined, it was like, the same ten people that would join all the time. So it was during the livery reveals of 2021. Um, it was me, Samantha, a few of our other now really good friends, like honestly some of our best friends and friends for life. It was like the ten people that were just chatting in that room. And before we knew it, we would join to talk about the livery reveals, and there was a hundred people, and then there was two hundred people, and then there was three hundred people, all hearing us talk shop and talk shit. No offense about just like random things and. It was just so special to have that community of, you know, us who started to talk about this. And we all were from different parts of the world. We all had very different perspectives. Um, You know, we had a woman from Rome. There was a woman from Austin. There was men from California. There was men from Canada. There was men from Europe. So it was just, it was really interesting to have all of those perspectives in one place. And then also have women in those rooms listening to us find us on Instagram and DM us and say, wow, that's a great point. Have you thought about this as well? And for Samantha and I to reply to that and say, that's a fantastic point. Come join the conversation. Like everyone is welcome. Please join. And it was in those initial conversations of creating this community and finding these people that my love for F1 was just really, really solidified because it gave us the opportunity to, again, connect with people from all over the world, connect with people from... A million different perspectives, a million different fan bases, and just talk about something that we love with each other. So that was definitely the moment that I think I saw this is this is something that I want to be a bigger part of my life than just a casual fan. Um, and then fast forward a year, year and a half later, I started my own marketing agency, moved down to Miami. It was the first year of the inaugural GP, and we ended up doing Samantha and I ended up doing work with the W Series for the Miami GP. And originally when I started my business, I told myself, I don't want to start, I don't want to work in motorsport because I don't want to ruin my love for something. I don't want to ruin my passion for something and resent it because it's stressful or because of a paycheck or this and the other thing. I wanted to really keep it as a special protected part of my life. And then after we had that opportunity with the W Series, I left that weekend, which was a year ago this weekend, saying, okay, yeah, I'm ready. Like, this is something that I not Only want to be a part of my life, but I need it to be a part of my life because now that I've experienced it, I kind of can't go back. Um, it's
1: addictive in that way once you've had yeah. that kind of um experience, yeah. you know, it's very visceral when you, like you said, you go, you love it, it's engaging, it's fulfilling, it's you know, very fast paced, and everything else, and everything that comes with that, it's addictive, yeah, absolutely. And I think you know, that the, our work with the W series and everything that's
3: come since layered with the community that Samantha and I have found through GridClick, layer with the community that we have outside of GridClick and just beyond in our friendships. It's just something so special. Um and we're even, you know, we we have this amazing network of women in motorsport. And we hung out with them all yesterday, yourself included, for lunch. And I just there's a lot of those times that when we're surrounded by these people when we're traveling and you know we're at these events that can seem really fast-paced and seem very overwhelming and a lot of times I just sit and I stop and I look around and I'm like holy crap there are so many incredible amazing people that work in this sport and I'm so lucky and so grateful to be involved.
1: It's amazing and it comes back to the people which I always find very interesting I mean that's a question that through my work in, in other spaces and we hear with others as well when we talk about What do you love about this business? Why do you want to work for this organisation? Tell me about, you know, the best part of your week. Whatever it is the conversation is, it always comes back to the people. And so, as you said, excuse me, yes, it is a fast-paced environment and, you know, it's a wonderful thing to be a part of, but it would be nothing without the connections, the human connections as well for everybody who's involved, which I always find really interesting. To follow up on that kind of transition, I suppose, and this is probably maybe more um, from an American perspective maybe, Mm. when it comes to sports, it tends to be, you know, if you support a basketball team, for example, it's likely to be guided by where you live and Mm. who your kind of local heroes are and Mm. that type of thing. Similar in Australia for for our sports too. Formula One, obviously... Um, you know, it's quite new to the American market, but it also just differs generally because you don't necessarily, unless, for example, like like yourself, Samantha, in terms of having a family that supports a team, mm-hmm. um, people tend to rally behind a driver. Mm-hmm. Perhaps they just connect with their personality or whatever it might be. Um, we spoke to some people yesterday at Williams who were kind of saying, I'm actually a Ferrari fan, but I just want to support what Williams is doing here today. I think it's really cool. So my question for you is how did you or have you even um chosen a team to support and or driver and do you tend mm-hmm. to support a team or a, do you follow a driver's career that you that you kind of that
3: you back Yeah that's an amazing question I think just as you said when you're an American fan and you're joining there's not usually an easy answer for who you support just because again it's it's not that same value of I grew up in Boston so I know I'm a Red Sox fan if I wasn't a Red Sox fan my family would just own me like mm-hmm. there's that's very connected right so with Formula One, what I have found for a lot of American fans is they choose a driver or a team that they really see their values mirrored in. So it's, as you said, a personality, or it's maybe something that they relate to in another way. So for example, Miami, 70% Latino community, there's a massive Checo fan base here. Right? So it's you find those people and you know, and this isn't in any industry, any environment, you always find yourself drawn to the people that you relate to on a personal level. And that doesn't necessarily need to be, okay, well, this team is based in, like Logan Sargent is from Miami, so I'm therefore going to be a Logan Sargent fan. Like not necessarily, right? So, and again, he's the first American driver. He's just starting this year. So maybe there are some new fans coming in this year from Miami that are just going to naturally back Logan because that makes sense to them, right? But I think for a lot of other people in America, they're really just drawn to people's missions, their values, what they support in life outside of racing as well. Um, it's like when I first started watching F1, it was actually Max's rookie year. And this was before anyone kind of knew where the trajectory was going, but, and it was also mid Mercedes domination, And so in my mind, I was like, I love the underdog. I'm going to root for Max because he's the underdog. Obviously he's not. By any way, shape, or form anymore. Yeah, that didn't age well. Yeah, that didn't age well. But, but I think that, yeah. you know, having those perspectives of, you know, I liked him because of that kind of perspective on the sport. And then I liked Sebastian Vettel because of his initiatives that he's talking about off the track. I'm very passionate about LGBTQ plus rights. I'm very passionate about the environment. And so seeing someone talk about that publicly, I was just naturally drawn to that kind of personality as well. And throughout the years, my favorites have always changed. I don't think I even have favorites anymore just because I want everyone to do well. um, Now that I'm just... Formula One is the winner. (laughs) Exactly. It's just, you know, when you create, like, I feel like I've almost created a special bond with some of the drivers. So of course, innately, I'm going to like have those passions. Like I've had a great conversation with Gasly. So I really like him because I know that he's a great person, right? Because I've had those conversations with him. I've sat with him. I've talked with him. So it's, there's some of those things that when you find the right personality for you, that's where you're going to be drawn to.
1: Really interesting to hear um, I suppose that perspective on it you know it, 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 it is really interesting like you said it kind of comes back to what we we're talking about earlier with connections and people and, and what you're kind of naturally drawn to both from a from a team perspective or from yeah. a driver perspective as well it's it's much more than what people might initially um, imagine you're kind of looking for a lot more in that in that team yeah. or, or that driver in terms of what they they bring to your experience of the sport which right. is is really fascinating right. Um Samantha I might go to you now um many of our listeners kind of talk about having a bit of an up and down relationship with Formula One they have years where they drift away from the sport for one reason or another it might be because dominating team is not making it as exciting to watch it might be because Max Verstappen (laughs) in his early years was not terribly uh kind on track to Daniel Ricciardo that might put you off a bit everyone has their their reasons um but I suppose my question is, what is it about Formula One that keeps you hooked, that keeps you watching? Hmm. Um, and if you've had those moments where you've kind of drifted away and not been as engaged with a season perhaps, what's brought you back? Oh, that's a, that's a very interesting
2: question. And maybe I'm gonna, I'm gonna approach it, maybe not in the most, uh, I don't know, um, straightforward way maybe it's a little bit inside it to uh, my mind, but I think, you know, if you value sport, it's probably like a, a massive pillar within your within your life. Something you hold a, a value. And, you know, I, if I think of like, this is a weird correlation, but Esther Perel is a sexual psychologist, sex psych- psychologist, relationship psychologist. You know, she's like for those who are in monogamous relationships, and if you if you think of your relationship with sports as you know a team you in a monogamous relationship with a team you have to allow them to grow and you're going to meet different facets of them, uh, you know in different eras time and time again and that's what keeps things exciting. And so, um, I think, yeah, if if, if if as far as Formula One, I think, I, I mean, I think a lot of as you said, fans come in and out of the sport. Maybe they don't connect with the driver, but they really like the team, or you know, vice versa. Um, but I think what holds Formula One in in such a high um, high sort of viewers rate or um, what have you, I think it's the innovative part of it. You know, it's the fact that there's a uh, strive for excellence at all facets of the sport. I mean, um, the, the the drivers themselves have to really push themselves to to the physical limit. Uh, the cars are are you know, every little bit is calculated and, and you know, the most of it is extracted from that machine or those machine parts. Um, and I think that sort of excellence is probably not experienced in everyday life, you know? And I think for us to to see that and to experience it through sport, I think is, is kind of incredible. It's almost like art. It's, you know, technology is art. And I think people are building upon it, building upon it. And maybe that's why you see the cycles, right? You know, um, Mercedes have been at the top of their form and then their game for so long and now we're seeing a little bit of a, um, a change in the guard and we're seeing that innovation being taken on or you know that, that that strength being taken on from Red Bull. So I think that's what keeps the sport so exciting and you see that through drivers. And I think what Sarah and I also experienced coming from like a comms and marketing uh, PR background is that while the sport had traditionally been so quiet on the sort of marketing and social media side, we're sort of seeing an uptick in that. Um, And you've really seen some some teams commit to that mandate. And it's been really cool to see the content that they put out. Um, And I think even, you know, taking it in my personal life, um, I've been able to, you know, seeing teams and, 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 and brands do amazing stuff with athletes, with the teams. It kind of inspires me to, to sort of carry a little bit of that within my own day job and pitch ideas. Um, but all this to say is that it just also, we're, we're in an era in which is quite exciting in which we get almost a close proximity to the, to the athletes, to the, to the teams themselves. So I think every era brings something different. And right now we're in this like very much fan dictated space in which we are telling the brands we're telling the teams this is what we want to see this is what we want to do we want access Um, whether that's virtually whether that's in person like for instance with the Williams pop-up you know being able to ask Alex Albon a question yesterday was like really cool so all this to carry it back um, I think it's really cool to see the sport in its different era and I think that's what keeps it exciting
1: you can kind of come in and come out it's like a relationship let's
2: bring it back I don't
1: know, long-winded answer. I love it. We love long-winded answers here on Lakeside Drive. It's absolutely fine. But no, it's an interesting comparison to make as well. And like you said, you kind of get a combination of the development, changing of drivers, um, you know, teams being challenged in different ways through different regulations, and each of those adjustments to the sport I suppose kind of can either – Push you away or pull you back in, yeah. um, which is is interesting. But it is constantly changing. That's if there's one thing that's true, it's that. Um, all right, let's talk about how you guys met and um, how your two Formula One stories collided. So, first of all, just how did you meet? <laughs>
2: Yeah, um, you know when, we, like, we were growing up in an era where, like, sort of chat rooms were were like just sort of booming, and and you know your parents are like, don't meet friends off the internet, don't talk to people, don't meet strangers. <laughs> don't take candy from strangers. Don't take candy yeah. From strangers. And uh, that's what Sarah and I did. (laughs) Bye, mom. I'm going to go meet a friend in Miami. Never met her before. I hope she's- That's how I ended up on this podcast.
1: There you go. I allowed myself to be collected by a stranger and said, like, hey, I'm going to take you to this um, coffee (laughs) warehouse in the middle of nowhere with two other men. And we're going to talk about Formula One. And I was like, Okay. (laughs) All you heard was like Formula One. Exactly. And you're like, I'm there. Sorry, mom. It, it all ended, ended well.
2: <laughs> if there are any minors listening to this podcast, please do not trust Don't strangers. Don't take meet strangers. Strangers. Yeah,
1: just <laughs> Do not. Like do
2: your, do your homework, you know. And I've, I've seen, like, I had met Sarah time and time again. Like we were on chats and video chats and like, anyways. But um, before I went to go actually meet her in Miami two years ago, almost a year and a half. But, um, you know, Sarah spoke about it kind of earlier. We We met in a chat room. Sort of in deep COVID, um, called Clubhouse, and it's an audio chat room, and and you can specify what sort of interests are tailored for you. And I had put in Formula One, Formula One, Formula One, because I, you know, at that time I didn't really have anyone to talk to about Formula One, so I'm like, let me join the internet, and uh, <laughs> I will find my home on the internet. Yes, <laughs> um, and sure enough, I did. Um, you know, Sarah and I we uh, were in these chat rooms and there were other women in these chat rooms but Sarah and I would connect we, we had our you know Instagram handles and we started chatting to each other and then eventually we exchanged phone numbers and we would just like sort of beef each other up just like that was amazing what you just said super smart and then you know or it'd be like oh my god I was shaking is what I said so stupid and we were just supporting each other as I would any other female friend and yeah we took this friendship outside of F1 and um, And we, not that I would say that we had started that initiative to create GridClick. It sort of just became a very um, organic thing that happened um, and then almost became like a, almost like inertia for every day. Like, you know, COVID was, Canada experienced like a, a very strict lockdown um, and there wasn't much to do. I mean, you know, you had your day job. Uh, thankfully, if you had your job, I was very grateful to have a job that I can work from home. But it became very monotonous, and I looked forward to talking about livery releases. I was obsessive about it, and, you know, having chats on Saturday post qualifiers, and then the Sunday, and the debrief, and the... So it was just, it became my whole world, and it consumed my whole world, and in the most positive way, Um, and you know, it it gave me one of the best people in my life. And I'm very, I'm very grateful to have Sarah in my life. I think, um, I'm very supported. And I I always say like, she joined my life and things just started happening. Like, it's just been very, if you believe in manifestation, you understand that you shouldn't chase anything that's like, that resists you. And this has just been the most, um, yeah, the most easy thing. It's not to say that we don't work hard. That there isn't a lot of planning and 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 thought that goes into what we do, um, but Sarah and I are very clear on our mandate. And I maybe we'll leave Sarah to talk about our mandate a little bit more. Um, but it's um, it's really just altruistic, I think. And um, yeah, we we started GridClick on I think it was like what uh, we we had different iterations of it, but we started GridClick. Um, March
1: 22. Yeah. So Let's talk about grid click then. First of all, why don't you just give us our, give our listeners a bit of uh, an understanding as to what it is. What is (laughs) grid click? (laughs) Yeah.
3: So as Samantha just alluded to, um, when we first connected and we found that we had this special bond through something that we had this intense shared passion for, and then just in a more human level, like we just connected very well. Right. So, We were there and, you know, we had made connections with some other women that were also in the same space and there was definitely a push and a notice of a lot of the people that were in the space on Clubhouse were men, but there's a lot of women too. But the ratio of women talking was not there because they were messaging Samantha and I saying these amazing things and we were trying to encourage them to come up and share the conversation with us. And there was just this hesitation of but I'm a new fan or I'm a woman or whatever, these, these insecurities of talking about something that they loved because they were scared of being told that they didn't know enough or being told that maybe they were wrong or being told something that, you know, they were just scared to talk about it because that's, of that. That's a, that's a nice way of putting it. Like women
2: get sort of, you know, they, they get not bullied, but like really held to such a high standard. Every
1: single thing you has, you say, has to be correct, Absolutely. intelligent, Absolutely. worthwhile in order to deserve being there. Whereas, right. and I, I, I know that it sounds like a massive general, generalization, mm-hmm. but I remember the first comment that I put in our Lakeside Drive Discord server, and I felt like a wave of anxiety came over to me afterwards of like, yeah. oh my gosh, everyone's going to think that, you know, who is this girl? And that's, that's, that was the differentiating factor yeah. um was was gender like, absolutely mean, completely share that experience yeah
2: and like just to add some color to what what Sarah's getting to like Sarah had tweeted and we're not going to get into the politics of Twitter but so <laughs> gosh. we might need a few more hours for that <laughs> yeah. oh my gosh um yeah we'll swap our waters out for actual like something stronger but she had you know made a critique of a driver I'm not going to get into it I'm not going to say but it was something to the point of like so so sanitary and so childlike of saying, like, what a wimp. Something along that line. And she got absolutely crucified online. So when Sarah says that there was hesitation for women to talk and just, you know, provide insight and opinion to these group chats, you know, anything benign could be taken and used against them and weaponized against them. And there is a, you know... I don't want to say women are new to the arena of sport, but like we've been here, but there, we are new to being able to talk about it and and to be able to have access to it in this the very democratized way that men also do. Um, so yeah, just I just want to add color
3: to, to that. And it's actually so funny that you bring that up because I, I actually forget about that scenario all the time, um, but it's a good use case. And even when she was just talking about that now in my head, I was like, "Whoa!" there's so much more context. There was so much more nuance. It wasn't just that I was, you know, calling someone a wimp. Like there was, there was so much of that. And it's so funny that even Samantha is saying this right now. I immediately went into a defensive mode of, I need people to understand of, that there was a lot more to it than that as well. And I don't, we see that there are other creators in the space that don't feel the need to have to do that. And I, of course, we're always a proponent of whenever you say anything about anyone or, you know, any industry online, of course, you have to be thoughtful and intentional about it. It's That's why Twitter is not necessarily my favorite space because some of that intention is not always there. Um, and so I think that's also a huge factor between, again, massive generalization here, but between men and women, specifically in this industry and a lot of male dominated industries are women come at it of a place of defense, right? So these women that were DMing us and wanting to be part of the conversation, they came at it from a place of defense versus a lot of the men that were in that space came up and were open to sharing anything on their mind, which again, also yeah. is, uh, that should be happening. Anyone should be able to f- share whatever they want to talk about, right? But it's, it's that major difference that we saw and we took note and we're like, okay, we need if, if people aren't, if women aren't feeling safe in this space, we need to create that. And because we'd found it in each other. We'd found it with this, you know, group of women that were engaging in these conversations and the women that were DMing us and messaging us and in these communities. And we saw the opportunity and we saw the possibility. And for us, it was almost like, it wasn't really a thought. It wasn't like, we're going to sit down and write down a mandate and we're going to launch this thing. And like, these are going to be our pillars. We're just like, this this doesn't seem like a safe space for some people, unfortunately. Let's create a space where anyone can come and feel safe to talk about the sport that they love. And that's how GridClick came to be.
2: Yeah, and and then I would also say, like, as, as as organically as it came about, Sarah and I feel a strong responsibility to protect those voices on our platforms. And I think we've always, our mind is always like, what do you, what do women want to see on this platform? What do they want to talk about? Like, can we give them the space to talk about this? Can we give them access to, to, to these sort of opportunities? You know, like if we go to the Williams pop-up, we're bringing all the girls with us and asking the questions and having that experience with them. And we feel just great responsibility to allow that space for them. And, you know, anyone can say what they want on, on the platform. Social media is, you know, freedom of speech and everything. It's democratized that that access to information and being able to share your opinions. Um, But we have created, I think something that's quite unique is like a code of conduct that we really enforce on our page and all our channels. And should someone say something that is off color, um, we have no problem being like, hey, welcome to the page. I don't know if you're familiar with us, but we have a code of conduct. If you want to insult someone, like don't do it here. Like get lost. Um, But you know, We'll give you another chance, and if you totally, it's yeah. it's
1: it's providing that moderation. Like you said, the only way that that safe space is created is by actually kind of enforcing that that code of conduct. Otherwise, what is the point? And we've you know we've got the same on our our Discord. We've got some wonderful moderators who um, make sure that our um, channel is always a place that everybody can feel safe making whatever comments and sometimes it gets a bit heated but not in a bad way it's in a genuine debate it's kind of I think this is really good for the sport Mm, I'm really not sure about that because I feel like it's focusing on entertainment and is that actually really great for the development of you know athletes in this that and the other on someone else saying well yeah sure but where are they going to be without these opportunities you know it's it's these debates that are actually happening and they get pretty heated Um, but that's it's still a respectful conversation, right? It's not this kind of tit for tat. Um, It's it's a great community Um, but it is also maintained as that through the support of moderators who, you know, just do a quick tap on the shoulder. Hey, you're welcome here. You might want to keep an eye on your language or this, that and the other and by the way we don't say those things to other people or whatever else and to be fair there's very, very little of that because I think it becomes quite self-governing. You know, when you see that and this goes for – um, you know, face-to-face communication as well. When you see that no one else is behaving in a certain way, you realise that it's not acceptable and it's like, oh, okay, I might not say those things anymore because nobody else seems to be putting other people down or, you know, just throwing insults and s- around and seeing what sticks. It becomes then very self-governing and you actually don't have to do very much to police it, yeah. yeah.
3: And something that you mentioned as well is there is the difference between disagreeing and having a very – welcoming an open conversation about something. Like you don't have to agree on everything. That's not the point. Our I don't think any page out there is going to be the space where everyone thinks exactly the same and they all have this, you know, same exact ideals and mindsets. Like Samantha and I always say to each other, we balance each other out so well because we challenge each other. But again, it's in a respectful, collected way that we are really trying to learn more from each other and we're trying to learn more from our community. And we welcome that open dialogue. We welcome that open challenge of ideals and insights and points of view, because that's the beauty of it. That's the beauty of diversifying the space, right? Is if you, the more voices that you bring in, the more perspectives that you're going to see, the more that you're going to be able to have a very high level holistic view of it. That's why we are such proponents of diversity and inclusion in the space in general. Um, You know, again, our, our tenant is everyone is welcome, right? So it's, while we do have this innate focus on the female experience and making sure that there is a safe space for females, particularly because A, that's something that we relate to. Almost like said what I said at the beginning of, you know, you innately are drawn to something that you relate to and you understand the experience. We also obviously open our arms to a plethora of people who share a myriad of different experiences, right? So, you know, are you a person of color? Are you a person of LGBTQ plus that, you know, you want to find people that you relate to because it's not so open in this sport, unfortunately, you know, it's a very white male, older sport. And so seeing those other voices and being able to elevate them is, is a lot of what we do. So even, what started as creating a safe space for a community had then turned into, okay, we had met all of these incredible people within motorsport that were behind the scenes. So a Ruth Buscombe of Alfa Romeo, she is the lead strategist there, but not a lot of people know about her, right? Um, There's just a number of people that work within the Formula One hemisphere that we were lucky enough to be connected to through our passions and through Clubhouse and all these things. But we had recognized that the general population, the general community didn't have those people to look up to, didn't have those connections. They didn't see anyone of, you know, maybe Asian descent, a person of color, a female, someone who is LGBTQ plus, right? So it was, it it started as a safe space, which obviously is still one of the main tenants and pillars, but it then transitioned to, okay, how can we open this space up and make it accessible? How can we give the community who cares so much about this sport, people to look up to and people to talk with and people to connect with that look like them? And, their personalities are like them and their characteristics, their characteristics, excuse me, are like them. Their missions or values are the same. Um, and really opening up the sport to those who might have not even known that these people existed inside of it.
2: And I think along with that sort of, I think what Sarah's also talking about is like talent development pipeline, which the sport seems to be suffering with quite a bit. Um, because I don't think it's quite transparent on how you can get into motorsport or, you know, specifically formula one. And so when we sort of highlight the women who work in motorsport, um, you know, uh, whether they're engineering or marketing and comms or, you know, one of our, in our pipeline to interview, her name is Christina main price. She works for, you know, hospitality. What is that? What is hospitality in the motorsport hemisphere? What does that look like? And, it's by demonstrating that, by showing, showcasing that, it's like women can participate in these roles, you know, and, and what does that entail? And, and I could do it. And, and Sarah and I have collected this sort of unofficially all this data. And it's like, did you know that a lot of the women who join motorsport as a career is that it's like their second career? Like how cool, like who talks about second career? No one who talks about a second career that you didn't, you know, actually study in, um, off the cuff, Um, or in university initially so it's really it's really kind of cool what it's become and and there's more and more of a call from our our following on how do I get there how do I do this Um, and there's more of a demand for it more transparency and I think that's I think becoming quickly one of our pillars is just Mm. transparency um, on all facets of motorsport because it has been traditionally so
1: penned in and closed yeah yeah you talked earlier about um, safe spaces, um, and either of you can answer these questions. Not, not targeted either one of you, um, and you know creating them, but then protecting them, um, and then helping to elevate the voices who might you know gravitate towards those deliberately designed either forums, whatever it might be. Kind of going in the like not online space for a minute, um, and thinking about actual kind of grand prix and Formula One, generally speaking what responsibility do you think the governing bodies have and race promoters have for making sure that Grand Prix events are for everyone?
2: Can I set you up? Cause I think, I think this is a great anecdote to set you up. Um, what race was it last year? Was it Austria or Hungary? Hungary. Hungary. So Saturday night I'm i uh, I'm at a dinner party and just everything sort of hits the fan, and I, I, you know, I end up going to bed, and I wake up in the morning, and I see a bunch of texts from Sarah being like, "Oh my God, do you see what's happening in in Hungary? We got to do something." Um, and she set up overnight these group chats, for which women who attend races or who are attending Hungary race can can join, and they can and they can sort of. Um, meet up with each other they could provide you know like strength in numbers they could say hey by the way share information like don't show up at this grandstand there's a bunch of belligerent blokes or you know by the way there's like shade over here and wi-fi over here like they were sharing all this information and it really became again talking about community a community of women and a lot of these women travel to the races on their own because they don't have friends who also watch the sport or you know uh, or don't have partners who can go with them or, you know, whatever. Um, and it's become, you know, when you talk about the governing body, do they have a responsibility? I'm not going to answer that. I mean, I think they do in short, <laughs> but I'm, I don't want, you know, like I think Sarah is so well-equipped to talk about this. Like, And I just wanted to set it up because like literally I read these messages that morning waking up on a Sunday and I was like, holy shit, she's fucking phenomenal. Like, <laughs> The, 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 the problem solving and the solution, the capabilities that this woman has and like her, yeah, I, you know, like she feels very strongly about women and, you know, people of, you know, other sort of diverse populations enjoying the sport. She feels so strongly about it. We feel so strong. Yes, of course. Yes. I'm talking about you, though. Let let me talk about you. Sarah's always thinking about other people. I'm like, I want a fangirl over you. Yes, of course, we do. We feel very strongly about it. But, like, she came up with an actual real solution to a problem that I think the governing body needs to pay more attention to or should pay more attention to um, and maybe engage consultants on this. But, Sarah, please
3: take it away. (laughs) Um, In short, the answer is yes. I mean, of course, they have a responsibility. Um, I think what allowed us to make such swift and immediate change was because we are not this massive corporation. We are not this hierarchy that we don't have policies and approvals and... You know, game plans, of a a company like Formula One or the FIA, they need to sit down and go through all of the options and create an actual plan. And that, unfortunately, takes time, right? So there is no shade on that because them doing that due diligence is necessary. For us, you know, even just to give a bit more context on, you know, what happened in Hungary was there was essentially a lot of women that were reporting sexual assault or physical assault, verbal assault. Minors, and it was something that these women had to take to Twitter to talk about because there was no one on the track to talk about it. Too, there was you know very little resources there for those who were affected by all of this negative behavior. Do you want
2: to say what those
3: like little resources look like? Like for instance, yeah. there's like no Wi Fi. Yeah. Yeah. So I'll get to. That. Yeah. <laughs> No, it's, it's, no. it's, it's, it's unfortunately, it's multifaceted, right? There's, it's, it's such a deep conversation to have because again, of course, F1 and the FIA have to take responsibility for the safety of the attendees because, or the race promoters, whoever it is, right? Because these are fans of the sport that they're putting on that they need there for money. They, they, they get ticket sales and they get ticket sales because these people attend these races. And if they are not doing their best to guarantee the safety and security of the people that are spending money to be there and enjoy this thing, what the heck are they there for? Right. So there's that perspective. And there's also the, also the perspective of a lot of these events are massive. Formula One Grand prix are insane logistical projects to put on. It's like ha- for all the US people, it's like having a Super Bowl every two weeks in a different country. Like it's, it's not an easy thing to do. So while it's easy for us to sit here and say, how could they have let that happen? How could this be happening? Why did they allow this? It's, that's not necessarily an easy perspective, but there's so much more that goes into that. So That being said, when we saw this happen and we knew because of that understanding that most likely nothing was going to happen at the track that weekend to potentially fix this problem because it's a very large problem to fix, at least we can connect our community. You know, we have that really close connection with the people that follow us and engage with us who are at that race. And so my immediate thought was, okay, if they can't connect to the race promoters. If they can't connect to security, if they can't connect to other outside parameters to help protect them, let's connect them with each other. Because then at least they can, the more information that you have, the better suited you are to deal with any scenario, good or bad, right? So just as Samantha said, it's great that we can have a group chat that now has evolved to, wow, I'm at the Williams uh, pop-up on a Tuesday. There's nobody here. Come by. This is the right time to do it. Or... Hey, there's a water fountain on this corner, which if you've been to the Miami GP, there's not a lot of water fountain. So it's, it's, it's information sharing that way, but it's also information sharing in which, as Samantha said, unfortunately, we've seen messages in these group chats of, I'm in grandstand 15. There is a group of drunk men behind me, cat calling me, and I'm alone. Is there anyone around I can go and sit with? And of course, our community being our community and the amazing, incredible people that they are, say, yep, absolutely, I'm at the grandstand next to you, we'll get you in, we'll figure it out. Or we're on our way to you, we'll come protect you, like, let's let's get together, right? And so it's easy to say that that was easy because, again, for us, it's literally creating a WhatsApp group chat, putting out the link. Whoever wants to join can join. Of course, the code of conduct is enacted. But it's one of those things that, the, the little change that we can make within our community, the better, which is fantastic. And we're hoping and we're praying that a lot of the initiatives, simple initiatives like instating Wi-Fi or putting safety tents every half mile or you know, every quarter mile, whatever it is, having an emergency phone number to reach out to if something is happening, if you're seeing something happening, having that accountability, those things need to happen and hopefully they will happen if F1, the FIA, local promoters do show that they are caring about their fan base. But it is such a massive project to implement that takes time, that takes due diligence, that takes intention. That we're, I mean, its it's great to see our community being able to connect over this. And we're hoping that we just want to get the word out that this exists and that people mm. can connect with each other and talk with each other and information share.
1: Yeah. And like you said, it is something that because of, you know, use the word multifaceted that you mentioned earlier, if you don't put that time and effort into a thoughtfully designed response, they will then be slammed with like, oh, this is tokenistic. You know, oh, that's never going to work. Oh, that's not going to solve the problem. Oh, this is like a, just a knee jerk reaction. Like they haven't actually figured out what's going to help here. Um, and so, I think it is important that they actually do that that work properly. But, um, well, they're just lucky that they have people like you in the background in the meantime doing these little things. And they might be they might feel small, but um, my view on some of those things is just you know the things that feel small are often having a very significant impact on somebody else's experience. It might be a little thing because of the size of Formula One and the logistics and the you know everything else is just it's. Everything is big, right? And you might go all I've done is create a whatsapp group and connect these people that could change their weekend um, make them safer um, you know and and that's that's not small at all. Um, something that I'd love to know is what you've learned through this process of um, establishing grid click, connecting more with Motorsport and um, the kind of I suppose diverse, side of motorsport as well in terms of the community that you've you've built and connected Um, what have you learned through that process and that can be about yourself about the racing community um, anything that that stands out
3: I think we've learned a lot (laughs) Um, just to put it simply and I think well Samantha and I we each have our full-time jobs outside of this so this is something that was born out of passion it's always been something that you know, we tell each other all the time, the second that this becomes a burden, the second that this becomes something that we can't manage, the second that this becomes a challenge or difficult and we're not enjoying it anymore and we don't see that our community is getting that same value and enjoyment, it's, it's done. It's fine, right? But now that we've been at this for so long and have built this community and have this amazing, wonderful group of people, there are definitely times that it's really freaking hard and it can be a burden and it is difficult, but we still do it because of all of the people that are involved and because of the value, even of what you just said, right? Our little group chats, it's, there might be one that five people join, but for maybe those five people, it's completely transformed their individual
1: experiences. I joined your Miami um, community because I wanted to experience GridClick. I was like, I can't come yeah. and chat with these girls without having experienced <laughs> what, um, what, they've, what they've created. And like you said, it it was really, really interesting to kind of see just the, you know, you had some Miami natives kind of saying, you know, well, actually, don't catch that bus because it's going to go downtown first, and then this, that, and the other, and the other person is going. Oh my god, that's amazing! Thank you so much. And like, I've got to put my, my knowledge somewhere, and it was it was amazing just watching these obviously complete strangers help each other have a better experience um, and be able to say, you know, this is probably my best recommendation based on last year, and don't forget this, and make sure you take that um, at local tips and and that type of thing. Um, it was it was amazing to see and how just how quickly it comes. Together and we'll improve those people's experience of the weekend. 100%. And I think the
3: basis of that is these diverse voices. in in all of these group chats, we might have one local. You might have someone who's never been in the country before. You might have someone who doesn't speak that good of English, but they're really trying to learn more and they're, they're trying to understand. And we might have people that it's their first ever Formula One race that they're going to and they don't know what to expect whatsoever. We have some people that have been to 15 Formula One races before in all different countries and they're able to share that perspective. So again, I think it all ties back to Having those sets of diverse voices really make the conversation much more impactful, much more valuable. And something that we have learned, I mean, I'll say me, but I think both of us have learned, is the power in having those diverse voices in a space together and how necessary it is to bring them together because... There's not a lot of people in the
1: sport right now trying to do that, unfortunately. Yeah, and something else that was pretty remarkable about it was just how many people were travelling solo um, that I found really interesting and people openly saying, you know, I've never been in Miami before, I'm here, I'm by myself. Um, if anyone's around to, you know, um, you know, catch up on after qualifying, whatever it might be, it it obviously feels like a safe space because let's be clear, you don't tell anybody that you're a female traveling solo on the internet if you don't feel like that is a safe environment. So that was very impressive. Samantha, what have you learned from this process?
2: Oof. Um, I used to work in sport in another lifetime. Um, and one of the things that I heard repeated often was you know, uh, real world issues, political issues, any sort of issue. Um, always gets solved in sport first like always gets tested in sport and I've thought about why and how that might be and maybe it's just because it's um, an arena and I've said arena so many times sorry but it's an arena in which uh, there's a lot of testing that happens and a lot of like people are taking chances and risks and want to try new things and new practices and I think um, I saw someone yelling in the background (laughs) it's okay um And I think, I'm going to lose my train of thought here. Uh, What I've learned specifically right now, if you look at like sort of the global climate right now, people are having a hard time having conversations. People are having a hard time disagreeing with themselves or with each other, not themselves. Um, (laughs) People are having a hard time listening to diverse thought. And I think what I've learned is to work within a system. It's to negotiate. It's to be a stakeholder Using my voice and having those hard conversations, whether it's um, difficult conversations, whether it's disagreeing with someone, whether it's like meeting someone halfway through, like halfway to 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 whatever. Um, yeah, I, I would say like I think the sport is experiencing a new population of people with you know, or you know, in this case, women, um, LGBTQ. Um, to, um, sorry, LGBT, we have like a different one in Canada. I, you know, like two spirited to us, but, um, but, um, coming into the sport and what you're seeing is sort of like old gen, new gen clashing, uh, on perspectives. And, you know, you have a lot of old gen being like, I I don't like the the sport the way it is now. And you have new gen being like, we love the sport, but you know, we're here, we're making room for ourselves and it's going to be better. And, uh, it's been very interesting dialogue that's come from it. And I think, yeah, just having I think personally there's been a lot of growth. Um just being able to have those conversations, being able to business plan with 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 Sarah and and think outside of our own wants and needs and egos and it's like how do we grow this? How do we support this? How do we And it's made me a better person, I'd like to say. Like well, that's a pretty big outcome <laughs> to yeah. be able to sit there and say, I'm
1: a better person for this. You mentioned business plans and um, looking to the, the future and, and how, you, how you grow it and all of that type of thing. Um, and you have already brought together a great community of people who are so passionate about motorsport, not just Formula 1, but, you know, we sat with people yesterday, so, oh, yeah, you're managing all the cars across NASCAR and this, that and the other. It's amazing. Um, but obviously Formula 1 is part of that. But we've talked about growth what is next for GridClick?
2: Yeah, I think you know. Uh, oops, I think maybe maybe we'll just pause for a second.
0: We're back.
2: Um, what's next for GridClick? Well, I think we've started on a platform on a on a. You know, virtual platform, on a social, social media platform. And coming out of COVID, we're now one year out, approximately. And it's like, how do we leverage this community, this great community online? Um, how do we engage the online community, but also take advantage of um, in life events, like real life events? And so Sarah and I had a um, our first, our inaugural event in Austin, where, you know, we tapped our group chats, we tapped our audience. They said, if you're coming to Austin, um, come to Dave & Buster's. They're hosting a women in motorsport event and they got to network. They got to make those connections in real life. Uh, they got to meet with people, who women who work in motorsport. And there was like some great connecting that was happening there. So I think the future for Sarah and I is creating um, events and experiences for our audience, taking them from social to in-person and I think that's, uh, I think we have like a lot of great ideas to create bespoke events. And I think that is going to be the future. It's it's engaging online and offline.
3: Yeah, I think, again, one of our main pillars is that sense of connection. So whether it's our community feeling that they can connect with each other and talk about something that they love with other people or whether it's they want to learn more about the people within the paddock and what their career journeys have looked like, get to know them, get to relate to them. That sense of connection within the sport is really, really key and important to us. So of course, this was born out of COVID. So of course it was born in a virtual reality and it will always remain that way. Because again, we are very lucky that our very diverse set of um, community live everywhere. You know, they're in different countries, they're in different states, they're in many different areas of the world. And So that will always innately have to be a part of it. But when there is an opportunity to bring it beyond the fold, to not just say, hey, we interviewed this amazing woman in motorsport virtually where we usually do it on live so people can come in and ask their own questions and really engage with them online. But this is a way to engage with them in person. So what I think was so special about our Austin event that I loved was we had a very healthy mixture. I think it was like maybe like, not 50-50, but definitely like 60-40 or 70-30 of women and people who work in the sport, who are in the paddock day-to-day, who are working in agencies that work in motorsport, who are directly tied and involved in this sport. And then these fans that wanted to come and connect with each other, and engage and connect with these other people. You know, we're, we're very lucky to have Lissy McIntosh, for example, she's a, um, a content creator, but she's also now become a presenter for formula one. And she is an influencer in her own right. Whether she likes to say that or not, um, that's a question, but you know, she is someone who is so widely respected in the industry because she is a young woman of color who is a presenter in the space. And, there was people that were able to come to this event and almost meet her as like meet their hero in a sense of a way, right? Because she's so publicly facing, but then she was also able to, she was also able to go there with her other F1 track presenter friends and have that space that she's able to even engage with. There are other creators and other people in the sport that, she's maybe spoken to over email or spoken to on the phone or have worked with tangentially, but has never sat down and have a real face-to-face conversation about anything. And so it's really providing that sense of connection wherever it can best be found and doing again, even within the group chats, but beyond as much information sharing as possible. Mm -hmm. So allowing these people in the space who, again, are not on the front lines, potentially are more in the background, but are are very interesting, important, intelligent people working in the sport and having them share their story with those who want to get involved with the sport.
1: All right. Well, let's get a bit of a conversation about US. Obviously, we are here in Miami. Before we talk about Miami race and we'll get some predictions for you. So start the cogs turning on what you think might happen this weekend. Um, We've talked about your early experiences of being an F1 fan in the US and it's obvious that Liberty Media are very much leaning into the boom of F1's growth in the United States. Um, And some teams are really leaning into that too. You know, we saw livery launches in New York. We're seeing a a lot more events over here generally and we've got three obviously races here this year. You're on the ground um, you're obviously in Canada most of the time, but uh, so so maybe these questions for you, Sarah. Um, but what have your observations been as the sport has grown over the last year, in particular? Well, I think that the Canadian
3: perspective is very similar to the US perspective. I think the North American perspective can be looked at kind of as a whole because you know, there is a race in Montreal. There's historically been a race in Montreal. That's fantastic. But Canada is massive. Like
1: something about the U S North America, Canada, bigger than Australia, landmass anyway, it's, yeah.
3: <laughs> is that I think there's a lot of people who forget just how big this country is and how big the continent is. Right. So even though there is that Canadian race, someone from Vancouver is six hours away, a six hour flight away, let me clarify. So it's I think a lot of the North American perspective has been very similar. So I think Samantha can probably talk on that as well. Um, But yeah, I think, I think, well, first and foremost, it's incredible. Um, As selfishly, someone who is in the U.S., I love to see more races come up. Because again, as I grew up in the Northeast, I found the sport when I was based in Northeast. Coincidentally, the closest race to me, of course, was Canada. Because even though there was Austin, Austin was three times as far and so obviously it's gonna be three times as more expensive whatever right so um I think having more races in the U.S. is fantastic for building and promoting this huge new wave of fans and but I also think that the way that America does things is very different than the way that any other country does things very much so (laughs) whether it's good or bad (laughs) right so it's when I said earlier it's really a Super Bowl in every in different countries every two weeks. In America, it really is a Super Bowl. Like mm-hmm. the Miami GP is run by the Miami Dolphins at yeah. Hard Rock Stadium, which yeah. all they know are Super Bowls, so that's how they treat it, right? Or Las Vegas is here. It's going to be a blowout event. So while I love that these new race locations are helping foster the local fan base, it's also become a very hot topic of conversation of how inaccessible these races are. You know, it's not that you can buy a relatively cheap, and it's not even cheap anymore, but, you know, a ticket to Spa where you're going to see cool racing on a built racetrack and it's, you know, maybe a few hundred dollars for the weekend versus you can't get a GA pass to any of the US races for under $500.
1: No, and and the grandstand tickets and things like that. Maybe I mean, yeah. this year has settled down a little bit, but still not really, um, for Miami in comparison to, to last year. Um, and it was, yeah, certainly from an Australian perspective, it was pretty, pretty astronomical. Um, and it's, I mean, it's obvious that you know, the average Joe is not the target audience for those events anymore, um, you know, where we are not who they are trying to get to buy tickets, basically, um, which is interesting in and of itself, right? It's like, who do you actually want at your events, which I find very, very interesting kind of question to, to ask. But um, like you said, it does really spark that conversation about, you know, is this a good thing for the sport? Everyone has an opinion.
3: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I still think it's a good thing for the sport, for sure. It's it's unfortunate, and it is sad to see that a lot of the typical Formula One fans will never be able to go to a Formula One race because it is so inaccessible. So it's having all of these new races come to the U.S. and a rumored fourth race and a rumored fifth race, if it's Dominic Holly's wishes, it's it gives the guise that it improves accessibility, but in reality... If these events continue to be formatted how they are currently where a grandstand is $1,600 for a weekend, and that's U.S. dollars, and that's before airfare, that's before a hotel, that's before transportation. And your $15 beer when you get there yeah. as well. Yeah. If you even have a beer in downtown Miami, it's going to run you $10, $15, bucks, yeah. right? So it's, those experiences are very inaccessible to a lot of
1: The vast Americans. majority of people. Yeah. yeah.
3: And vast majority of people worldwide, mm. but especially the vast majority of Americans. So mm. I think that while it still is a positive move forward to have these races because it is improving visibility, yeah. which also brings more sponsors, which brings more money so then more drivers can have that funding, right? Mm. So a lot of what I do in my business, separate from GridClick, is I help drivers get funding for drives. And there's a lot of drivers out there that they're only starting to be noticed and funded and supported because these brands are entering the arena with F1 because it's this huge opportunity for them that there's these massive events and huge exposure, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But then they say, okay, we've got an amazing value from F1. What about other series and other drivers? Yeah, and I'm okay. seeing that spill over to other series. So, you know, especially American series, right? So IndyCar, for mm. example, it's American-based racing. Mm-hmm. They currently don't have any races around the world. They have historically. They will again. But allowing those drivers, there's a lot of crossover between drivers, between sponsors, between environments. And all. this is all to say this massive boom of the f1 fans even though it might not really impact the f1 fans in the u.s directly positively it is making a lot of change for other aspects of the united states and racing in the united states and that for me makes
1: gives me a lot of hope well someone is doing a very good job with advertising here i was saying on our little kind of we do a a quick kind of things to know before each uh, each Grand Prix and we did one quickly for Miami and I was saying, I was like, someone is doing a great job with advertising here. I think I had um, obviously the Ferrari drivers on my fuel bowser. I had Checo with tequila in the airport. And when I got to my hotel and you have the TV that's up, um, it's a Mercedes partnership. And so I had Lewis Hamilton welcome me to my room in the hotel and then I can go buy a jet ski from Daniel Ricciardo. And it is literally... (laughs) everywhere. It's very, very impressive. Well, that's one thing that the US does very well is their marketing (laughs) and their
3: advertisements. That's for sure.
1: Love Love it. Yeah. So let's talk about this weekend. So I've got two questions for each of you to answer. First of all, what are you most looking forward to about the Miami Grand Prix? And then second of all, podium predictions. I know everybody hates this question, but I love it. So, you know... (laughs) Um, what am I looking
2: most to this weekend? Well, look, um, I think we're, we're, we're going to host a uh, on like a grid zone, like a fan grid zone uh, or sorry, grid click grid zone. <laughs> um, and I would like, I'm just looking forward to so much to meet all the individuals who have traveled or are here and connect with them. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, I always look forward to these weekends. Maybe it's not Miami specific, but it's to it's a chance to um, see Sarah and, and, and be in person with. The people that I enjoy the sport with, I mean, I was, you know, tearfully saying yesterday, very grateful. I was like, it's, it's like, it's being around people who speak the same language as you and it's so much fun. And obviously Miami is like a really lively, fun city. And I think it's so much fun to, you know, participate in all that. Uh, I think what Miami does really, really well is all the uh, in-person activations from the teams and the brands and um, you really have a full schedule of things that you can do uh, as a fan within the city. And I think if anything, to go back to your previous question, uh, you know, the expansion of the US market um, and then if they would take it to any other sort of market, is the in-person activations really continue that? I think there's so much ROI in that, like I, I we were at the Williams pop up yesterday and They're like, you know, buy something and get it signed by Alex. I was like, oh, my God, not only do you get a piece of Alex, you get it signed, you get to meet him, you get to talk to him, you get to engage with him. That is
1: so cool that the brand is doing that. So I was chatting to the guy who was staying behind me um, while um, Alex was coming in and I ended up saying to him like, you know, Williams supporters are – rare species to find in the, the F1 world. And so I said to him, I'm like, how did you choose Williams? Like, why do you, why are you here? Basically, (laughs) I turned to this guy, what are you doing here? Um, But he said to me, he said exactly that. He goes, "Um, I just love that they are doing this. I love that they are giving us this opportunity to Meet the drivers basically. I really want to support this initiative. Obviously, Logan Sargent is local hero and you know, it's in Miami, that's not far from where I live. And I just wanted to come and really support what they're doing. and He's staying there in his Williams cap and he's going to get it signed, and blah blah blah. And I said, Okay, that's great, I'd love to know that. And who, what are you, what do you, 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 like, what are your predictions for this weekend? He goes, Well, I'm a Ferrari fan, so I really want this. To-. I was like, Okay, now, now I'm confused, <laughs> what's going on here? And he goes, No, I'm a Ferrari fan, I just wanted to come and support what they are doing. And I was like, that is interesting. Like home run, right? Um, did you want me to give my predictions first? And then you- oh yeah, you're I
3: just, I had one more thing to add to that. Um, with the power of the in-person initiatives and in-person events, of course, that Williams has so wonderfully done and that we are going to try to do, we need sponsors. So, Williams, yeah, that, this is a lot of I free love advertising.
2: That. Williams, we'll we'll, we'll do a nine, full nine, plug nine. at the end, don't
1: you I? <laughs> But okay, now we can get to predictions. Uh, All right, what are your prediction, well, predictions,
2: Samantha? Well, actually, before I go get there, it's like, sorry. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh my God, it's so like, and more, more
2: to say. Um, you know, what I would love to see is um, more esport activation. And with more esport activations, uh, come women. So like bring the, the female members of your team out. I think it's going to be, I, I would love to see that. Like, or, you know, engage maybe female interviewers and stuff like that. But all that to say, Miami does in-person fan activations so incredibly well. Um, keep that up. It's, it's so sick. Um, and then my predictions. Ooh, I'm going to call it a spicy one. And it's just going to be my fantasy one. I'm going to say like, signs... <laughs> <laughs> just my Ferrari hope. Uh, Alonzo and Checo. Let, let me just throw those three like interesting. I like it there. I like know? it.
3: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very spicy. I'm gonna go a lot more logical because <laughs> I'm type A.
1: Um,
2: but I'll should give you insight to how Sarah and I are. We have we have emotional <laughs> I'm, we have yeah, emotion
1: yeah, and yeah. I say I say what's going on here. And yep, yep, I told yep, you yep. that we
3: challenge each other in the best way. <laughs> we really are a true balance. Um there are a lot of straits in Miami, the Miami track. It is a technically street track but it's really a parking lot highway um
1: I, I know, sorry every single australian feels the same yeah. way it's okay
3: <laughs> I, I live here i'm from here in parking lot? <laughs> I, I have quite literally parked in that parking lot to go to the hard rock arena so i it's i've walked there's, I, there's actually a funny story because obviously tangents um i went to a concert there a few months ago and they, while they take down, obviously, a lot of the track because it turns into a football stadium, concert venue, et cetera, they still have some of the racing lines painted in the parking lot. And so I, my friend that was with me at this concert was someone who traveled down from Canada to go to this concert. He was spending the weekend with me. And we both saw the racing line and we gunned towards it. and We just go, Mirror. And like, we were like going like off the line, <laughs> off the track. And like, that's just so fun and interesting. Yeah. So, you know, I. It is literally it's a parking yeah. lot. Like you can't lie about that. Um, but the track itself has a lot of straight lines, and we all know who performs very well in straight lines, and we all know who took the title home last year. So, even though I my love for Max has not lasted as it had started once. Interesting. Because, well, yep. again, I I, I like the underdog, and as soon as he was no longer the underdog, yeah, okay. I was kind of out. Mm. Um, I, I think it's definitely going to be a max finish. I have been very impressed by the recent Ferrari performance. We also felt the same last year at this time. So I hope it doesn't diminish like it did last year. But last year it was Max, Charles and Carlos on the podium. Yeah. So so I'm had a say really good battle
1: with um. Checo last year we had Checo like outbreaking himself basically and science managed to hold on to it it was very great great moment so
3: yeah so I think it's it's definitely going to be max I'm hoping at least one Ferrari and as much as I don't like to say this because I know well I'm not gonna go I I don't want to get too political about this not my favorite driver but I think Alonso's performance has been so so impressive yeah and I it would not surprise me if he ended up on the podium as well
2: so we weren't so far off together I said a Ferrari Alonso
3: and a, and a Red Bull no the the difference was that you went through it with your Tafosi fire
1: heart and I went through <laughs> it with my
2: brain
3: like logic sometimes they meet <laughs>
1: love to hear it all right guys thank you so much for joining me on lakeside drive podcast and spending some time chatting with me and having me in your hometown sort of um it's been it's been absolute pleasure and i hope that uh well obviously both your predictions can't come true but i hope your little Tfosi hearts get some love this weekend (laughs) do we get to hear your predictions oh i thought i got away with that um (laughs) all right so that, that is very true no that's fair enough so This is really hard because I'm a through-and-through Daniel Ricciardo supporter and watching him on the sidelines is really, really difficult. I think that he is in the best place at the moment when it comes to potentially coming back. However, the better Checo does, the less I feel my my hope becomes diminished. However... I also really like Checo. I really, really (laughs) like him. So my heart is just tearing. My brain is also tearing because (laughs) both of them. But um, so it's with putting my heart aside, I'm going with my brain Um, and I'm going to say Checo to win. I think he's got the local support here that you mentioned, Sarah, um, and that can be the edge sometimes. I think just the confidence that you go into a weekend feeling like you've really got people behind you and he just, you know, he's got the momentum of the last couple of weekends as well. And so we're going to go, I'm going to go Checo for first. I'm going to say Carlos Sainz second, partially just because, I really am going with my heart here. <laughs> I really felt for him over the last couple of weekends. I, I feel concerned that he's settling in as a second driver. Would never have said that in his first year with Ferrari and he's got incredible race craft. We saw it here last year. Hopefully he brings that this year. So, and and yeah, I'm a big, big um, Sainz fan. So uh, signs for second. And for third, I think we will have not Fernando Alonso, I think it's going to be Stroll. But oh, but Alonso is going to help him get there. So that's not something you would have heard a few years ago. I think no, I to be fair. no, no, it's not. So it's sorry. Did we all just kind of agree? I'm like, it's like, uh, all with of, we yeah, teams. Like, maybe of, yeah. drivers bit of a bit of a mix up. But um, yeah, <laughs> but I think cool. yeah, yeah, I think Stroll might uh, get himself on the podium here. I am. Um, that's
3: so funny <laughs> that you say that because. I'm actually a massive Stroll fan, just as a person. Interesting. Again, you don't hear that often. (laughs) I think he's... This could be a whole other hour podcast, so I will not go on my tangent (laughs) here. But he's a very misunderstood person because of his family and because of his... um, I mean, even circling back to what we said earlier, you know, he's not really on social media. He doesn't show his personality. doesn't really show who he is as a person for a multitude of different reasons. Um, But he's he's a really great person and he works really hard to do what he does. And I think he deserves a little bit more respect on his name. So I would love to see him on the podium. You're probably
1: fair. And I will absolutely um, uh, say that I am somebody who gives him a lot of flack for who he is, for sure. I'm one of those people. Um, I have also had moments of going, yeah, but do you still deserve a spot on the grid? Absolutely. Like I'd think it's it's just challenging sometimes where you yeah, you want to you wanna get them behind them. But then we've also had moments like in Melbourne last year not checking his wing mirrors and I just go, Ah, yeah, see there it is, and that's why I get frustrated. So um but but I think you're right in that he um and even um uh, Joe as well um, to start off with, you just have this prejudice, right, which means that you're not from a fan support perspective on a level playing field. You're not going in with um, with people going, you're here because you deserve it and this, that and the other and we hope that you have a great rookie season. That's not where they're, they're starting. They're going, you're here because you bring money with you and so don't and, – and, and it's tricky because, like you said, he's not as on on social media as much as some of the others so we're not getting the reasons, so to speak – to like him, to support him. So, because people are looking for something to hold on to, right? I think we're getting into it. I think we're getting into it.
2: But I think just to, to go back to the stroll thing, I think, yeah, there's obviously skepticism to his level of performance based on like what where he's coming from. But I think sometimes, you know, you ask yourselves, is it the race car Or is it the driver? And I think we've always come down to the idea or maybe generalizing. But I agree. I think that it's, I'm of the mind that it's a good marriage of both. And I think that Stroll maybe just lacked the car to show his potential. And I think we're starting to see peaks of that. Like he's coming out of his little cocoon, I think, you know, as far as performance wise. And I'm excited. I'm really excited. I
1: think he does enough, frequently enough, to show that he deserves a spot on the grid. I just think that it's hard for people to rally behind him because of a, some of the things we see on track, but b the, you know, the the, lack of transparency, transparency. how hard he
3: works and how genuine he is in the sport for the right reasons. Yeah. And it's, it's unfortunate that, you know, it is the social media, it's the marketing, it's the whatever, that people really come in bandwagon behind fans. Like, again, just as you said, 20 minutes ago, there's not a ton of Williams fans because Williams has not performed well in the last few years mm. but the fans that are there are coming because they have that social presence yep. and because they, the drivers have that personality and because they're allowed to do that um, and so that's that's where a lot of the power lies, but again, we can we can go. We could do an for hours. Different I on feel this.
1: another podcast coming yeah. on. Maybe we will focus more on driver analysis and fan bases. Yeah, I don't know. Um, yeah. but I we we don't have all day, so I will wrap it up there. Um, thanks so much for joining me and having me in Miami thank you so much for having us it's been lovely you're lovely Lakeside Drive is lovely and, and of course sorry where can yeah. people find you so oh, sure, sure. off you sure. go give us your give us your best plug <laughs> yeah so
3: we are based primarily on Instagram um, our handles at grid click click as in like the term but of course we're here to democratize that term everyone is welcome um, and then our personal handles are within our bio as well um, it's Samantha and I who have founded it we have a lovely third member her name is Melissa she's helps us put together some of our events we just signed on to editors this week who have been helping us a ton so our team is growing our community is growing so you can come hang with us there and that is where we post of course all of our group chats all of our content all of our engagement all of our lives um and that's where you'll learn
1: more about our in-person events as well awesome love it thanks guys thank you thank you so much to sarah and samantha for joining me After we finished recording, the three of us reflected on how different our backgrounds are and that we came from different parts of the world, but have a shared experience and that that alone can establish a bond that makes our differences entirely irrelevant and kind of forgotten about. I absolutely loved hanging out with both these young women and can't wait to see what they do next. Thank you so much for listening to Lakeside Drive. I'm Freya Brolsma. Until next time.